This is Sports Cutting Edge for ASTN, the Australian Sports Technologies Network. Here's your host, Lockie Wills. G'day, hello and welcome to Sports Cutting Edge. Thank you very much for your company. We're here for the Australian Sports Technologies Network, ASTN, powering sport through innovation. You can check them out at astn.com.au. On the show today, we have the rock star of sports physiotherapy, Kasal Gornawardna. Kasal's the founder of Elite Academy, that's Academy with a K, at Melbourne University. And they really are Elite Academy. They're so renowned, whether you're a patient going in for treatment, whether you be from, you know, just off the street, uh, you know, average citizen or elite athlete, as well as that for physiotherapists, getting the absolute precision, cutting-edge training from the very best in Casal. So it's a place to go to get your back sorted or to get your career sorted in terms of physiotherapy. Casal's just a marvel. As well as that, he is the sports physiotherapist to the women's doubles stars on the tennis tour, Vera Svonareva, as well as Laura Sigmund. Now, they not long ago won the Miami Open, Casal is their sports physio. And so you've got these elite operators who are playing at the cutting edge of tennis, winning. They've won a US Open. They won the Miami Open a few weeks ago. And Casal's the one giving the great sports physiotherapy. Casal's also on ABC Radio National. He's written three top-selling books. And every time I pick up the newspaper, there's an article by Casal in there, right throughout the Herald Sun, Daily Telegraph, all that. So Casal really is a rock star. And he's one of the kindest people you'll meet. And we're going to hear from Casal. See, he doesn't sort of sit on his laurels. He's got a great career. Uh, He doesn't sit back. He leans forward. He is doing the cutting-edge research. This is world-leading research into new areas of physiotherapy and sports physio and new technology. He's involved in some amazing work. And Casal's going to give us the latest. Not just sort of talk about what he's achieved, We've got a lot to talk about in that regard. But also, what's coming next? This is where Casal comes into his own. He's always about three steps ahead of the game. Casal Gunawardner coming up on the show. Absolute ripper. As well as that, we have a tech genius by the name of Ken Fretwell, founder of Stableform. Now, Stableform are at the cutting edge of horse racing technology, equine performance technology. And Ken has just got this magnificent mind. These are the people, the tech geniuses who who are able to, they've got that great sort of spatial awareness, that great mathematical mind, the electronic, the engineering, they've got all this acumen and the great imagination and then the work rate and the resilience to go and make it happen. You know, you hear about all the different technology and, and where it comes from. Well, Ken created a particular sensory device that is helping to reduce the injuries and ultimately uh, deaths in horse racing by being able to try and predict when an injury might be coming. He created this sort of technology on the kitchen bench at home. That's where it started. And he's building up beautifully. He runs through Australia, the UK, New Zealand, and is growing. That's Ken Fretwell from Stable Form. Ken is on the show. Casal is on the show. But first, let's take a look at what's making news. You're listening to Sports Cutting Edge for ASTN, the Australian Sports Technologies Network. The rivers of gold in e-fitness and e-health are flowing in this country. Melbourne-founded genomics company MyDNA, along with healthcare entrepreneur Dennis Bastis, have brought Nutrition Program 28 by Sam Wood for $70 million dollars. The Aussie Wood will now have a 5% stake in MyDNA. Wood telling Nine, the new deal with MyDNA will allow a key asset of his business pre-existing, the personalization through genomics, to continue. We continue in this sort of e-fitness, e-health space. And Australia's largest not-for-profit health insurance fund, HCF, have announced a $5 million deal with XT Ventures. XT Ventures are Australia's first e-fitness and health venture capital fund. We had their founder, Andrew Fagan, on the show last month. 
HCF CEO Sheena Jack says this investment is about helping to drive disruptors to push the boundaries and deliver results to improve the health of Aussies. XT Ventures managing partner Craig Lambert says HCF's knowledge of the healthcare system will be a vital asset. To hear more about XT Ventures, check out episode 15 of Sports Cutting Edge with Andrew Fagan. And top-level research out of the US shows sports broadcasters are being crunched by rising costs and falling subscribers. Standard & Poor's research finds the price of broadcast rights continues to rise faster than inflation, which is in turn pushing up subscription fees to the likes of ESPN. The US major sports leagues make $15.5 billion a year from broadcast rights fees. Meantime, more than 5% of sports network subscribers cut their cord in 2021. Standard & Poor's says cash flow margins for sports networks was at 25.3% in 2021. They project it will plunge to 14.7% in 2025 as costs increase and subscribers walk away. Up next, Kasal Gunawardna. You're listening to Sports Cutting Edge for ASTN, the Australian Sports Technologies Network. We welcome to the show now rock star physiotherapist Kasal Gurawardena. Kasal, welcome aboard. Hi, Lockie. How are you? Thank you very much. Rock star star is a very kind term. It's true, Kasal. You are the Mick Jagger of Australian physiotherapy. Your record, like your resume, should be gold embossed. It's incredible. You are an APA-titled sports and exercise physiotherapist. You are the founder of Elite Academy Sports Medicine at the prestigious University of Melbourne. You've been with uh, Melbourne Uni since 2002, Elite Academy, and that's Academy with a K, since 2012. You are the sports physio for the reigning Miami Open champions in the women's doubles, Vera Svonareva and Laura Sigmund. As well as that, uh, back in the day, you started Vigor Sports Medicine Clinics, the only orthopedic teaching school in Australia for overseas trained physiotherapists uh, with La Trobe Uni back in the day. You're now with Swinburne as well, a lecturing sports science. You're a expert on ABC Radio with the Exercise Room on ABC Radio National Life Matters program. As well as that, you've written three books with Wilkinson Publishing putting out three magnificent titles, Natural Healing, Quiet and Calm, Three Minute Workouts and Back Pain, 30 Days to Pain Free. Kasal, when do you get time to sleep? I think uh, sleep is very important, uh, Lockie. But look, when it comes to, um, I think, putting all my work out uh, as I have, uh, I've always had a passion for sport. And um, through that passion of sport and then uh, adding the science to it. So uh, really working towards, uh, I mean, that's what physio is for me, where I've always enjoyed working in sport, working to help athletes, working to improve people in their or decrease injury and improve performance and uh, keeping uh, keeping people healthy so mm. uh i i guess w- I, when it when you find your passion and uh, you can continue to work on that uh, uh, you can get a lot more done i feel well that's and you know you are one of the world's most respected uh, sports and exercise physiotherapists but the fact that you have that ability you know, they say bedside manner or common touch. The fact that you're someone who has all of that now, through all of the natural intellect you have, through all the hard years of work, the fact that you're able to then help distill it, you know, for the average person to be able to work things out, to be able to communicate with them, to help give them the tools to help themselves, and also for elite athletes, because obviously elite athletes, core business for them is trying to win on the field, on the court, in the pool, etc. So you're able to help give them tools, give them information through the way you communicate, and you've got great energy, which, you know, is half the battle. I want to talk to you about... Uh, Vera Svonareva and Laura Sigmund, who are absolute stars on the women's tour. As I said, they've just won the Miami Open doubles title. You are their sports physiotherapist. Can you take us inside to the extent you can, obviously, whatever you can and can't talk about, but what it's been like working with them. Can you tell us the journey and the way in which you've been able to help really enhance what they're doing? 
Well, uh, you know, it's really proud to see how well they're doing. They just won in Miami. And uh, a few years back, Laura Siegmund contacted me uh, because she couldn't bring her physio from Europe uh, because at the Australian Open, there were restrictions on how many people could be brought in a team. Uh, she contacted me and said, would you mind uh, taking care of things uh, while in Melbourne? Uh, and then the following year, Vera, she, after my work with Laura, uh, Laura then uh, recommended my work to Vera Zwanareva, her doubles partner. And then the following year, unfortunately, uh, Laura couldn't attend the Australian Open. She was recovering from uh, a knee surgery. And uh, I started working with Vera. And, uh, you know, over the last few years, uh, just continuing to work uh, on, I've pretty much been in Melbourne, they're traveling around the world, looking and helping them remotely. Uh, and this is another wonderful thing about the technology these days, we can access and continue to see uh, ways in which we can help uh, remotely. And uh, then building, building on that. And I think, you know, when you start talking about you know how can we help people remotely or how we can uh, work on things uh, from which such distances i think this is where technology comes in and uh, if you think outside the square just even a little bit uh, i've I found to get some really wonderful results and you know great results for them they've uh, come together i think they've played in 20 tournaments so far and uh, they've won three uh, one is the you know, the biggest one is probably the Miami uh, 1000, which is uh, huge. And uh, yeah, kudos to them. They're, they're on an upward trend. Yeah, it's absolutely sensational. Uh, can you tell us, and once again, you know, no trade secrets, but the sort of stuff you're working on with them, how you've been able to, you know, measure tangible results through your uh, sports uh, physiotherapy? So in physiotherapy or in the sports physio world for me over the last 20 years, two years now, I've developed a theorem and I, I like to call it K-theorem because uh, one of my one of my clients, uh, when I explained the theorem or when I explained the process and the blueprint, said, Kasal, what are you going to call it? And I said, um, I said, I don't know. I haven't really thought about a name. And they, they said, oh, you give me some time. I'll come up with the name. And they said, oh, look, you should call it K-theorem because, you know, it's, it's Kasal's theorem. So K-theorem, <laughs> that's, that's how K-theorem was born. And in, in, in K-theorem, uh, the theorem is uh, based on the fundamentals to help an athlete uh, be assessed in terms of injury and then uh, improve their performance. So the first pillar is uh, their performance pyramid, but, uh, you know, we're identifying the biomechanical deficiencies or biomechanical uh improvements they need to have uh every person the the human body is made up of nerves muscles joints and ligaments and you can identify and measure how those elements work once you get that first uh first pillar underway the next pillar is what happens to that athlete in a 24-hour cycle so there's how much they train how much they sleep which majority of people then um know and they can measure that too but the the third thing there is the fundamental uh, the the sedentary postures and sedentary lifestyle that they tend to lead which you know if an athlete is not training and if they're not sleeping then if they might be working on the computer or they might be doing a hobby or they might be doing something else and this is what I'm now identifying and looking at things like sedentary postures affecting uh, how their biomechanics work and how that's affecting their sleep and how it's affecting their, their sport. So that pretty much makes up the first two pillars. The third pillar is nutrition, which is so vital. And then the final pillar is the mind, which is um, probably the most important pillar. And the way I like to explain these pillars, if the first pillar, which is the biomechanics, it's like getting a band ready for music, getting a band together. The yeah. band, the music the band creates is the is what happens in a 24-hour cycle. So, you know, band creating music, everything is fine. When you get nutrition right, the band, it's like having the band play in the most 
most the best arena. So, you know, the experience for the listener is unbelievable. The band sounds amazing. That's what nutrition does to an athlete. And when you get nutrition right, it's amazing. The final pillar, the mind, it's like a tsunami though. So that tsunami can wipe out the arena. That tsunami can wipe out the band and the music and definitely the band members. So, uh, and I use stress as an example for this. If a person is stressed, it can wipe out those other pillars. For example, you might lose appetite. You might, uh, you know, uh, not sleep well. Uh, you might not train well. You might not compete well. And uh, finally, you know, your muscles can tighten up through stress. So that is the that is pretty much uh, Kate Neurom in a, in a nutshell. Now, fascinating what you say about the mental health aspect. Like, you know, I've heard Roger Federer say before that all the players on the tour, in terms of physical ability, are basically the same. It's what's in the mind that makes the difference. Can you tap into a little bit more on that section, Casal? Like you yourself said, it's the most important one. What are you able to do through your research through your insights that you've garnered over so many years and through the use of technology as well to help with data to measure things to help improve things can you tell us about your approach to that that very important factor Mm. so if we go back to the fundamentals the first three pillars have majority of that has been monitored evaluated assessed and you know there's the technology that can track these things if you look at even an amateur athlete, you know, tracking the number of steps they do. If you get a wonderful Garmin watch, you can actually see how much your stride length is. You know, at a very micro level, you can get these things measured. You know, you can check what kind of calories your intake is, uh, you know, how good your sleep cycle is. So those kinds of things have been done and done really well. I think that the future of all this, Lockie, is will and it will be in how we identify mental well-being so right now one of my um one of my colleagues and uh, she's her phd is covering the top apps out there that can help uh, identify mental well-being for a person so her project is looking at uh, her project is looking at all the top apps out there for mental well-being seeing which ones give the best result through the best assessment. So when we can measure what's happening in a mental well-being space, we can then tweak these things. So I'm a big fan of measuring everything and seeing and working with um, technology and individuals and uh, colleagues who, uh, you know, tend to be very objective in that space. Because if you can measure it, you can then work out a way of improving it. And um, yeah, it's it's going to be a very interesting space over the next, uh, I'd like to say within the next two to five years. And, you know, this is something, I mean, there's more and more awareness around mental health these days, but you're ahead of the curve in this respect. You know, it was five, six years ago, you put the book out, Natural Healing, Quiet and Calm, and, you know, the ability of the body to help to find equilibrium again. Can you give us a bit of an insight into, you know, your book and also, you know, what you've continued to evolve through your learnings over the past five or six years? Sure. So, you know, I've been a big fan of, one, understanding how the human body works. So, Mm. you know, the human body works because we have this wonderful CPU, which is the central processing unit, which is called a brain. Mm. And everything within the brain uh, from a physical standpoint to, uh, you know, the physical brain and also how the mind works. And uh, when I wrote um, and co-authored, you know, Quiet and Calm, which was uh, my book where I partnered up with Helene Fenizio. Helene is a meditation expert from billionaires. She lives in, uh, works in Los Angeles. And um, I, in the book, I wrote everything about optimization of the human body, and she talked about how to optimize the mind. So, you know, you get a wonderful book coming together that, you know, translates into a person not just understanding, improving the body, but also the mind. So I've always felt there's, you know, both go hand in hand. If you, to improve the mind, you have strategies 
uh, in the physical world that you can do. Uh, you know, exercise, for example, is one of them. And also for the body to work well, you need to have a, a pretty good platform in terms of the mind and how the brain works. So they, they go hand in hand. And that's uh, the, the primary nature of that book that we wrote together. That's tremendous. Um, in terms of future tech, like if you, you know, sort of your vision, your, you know, your wish list of what sort of tech you could create and help to create in this space of the mental health, mental well-being for athletes and, and just for um, citizens as well, are there any things that come to mind that would really help? I think, uh, first of all, understanding that uh, right now, Physiotherapy, if I just touch on physiotherapy as an example, uh, a person has to be physically present to get the treatment or, uh, you know, you need to see the physio, you need to work one-on-one or face-to-face. But, you know, we're creating and combining different technologies. The first one I'll share with you is uh, we're developing a, a sensor that, you know, you place on your back Uh, it's a different, you know, multiple sensors. We can pick up when your muscles are fatiguing if you're sitting incorrectly. For example, majority of the time, people are sitting, working on their phones, and, you know, we have this slouch posture. We have found that if you're sitting slouch forwards, the, the, the weight of the head increases five times. So the head usually weighs around five kilos, uh, but in a stoop position, it can increase up to 25 kilos. And all that pressure, imagine the neck being such a small structure compared to the head, you know, there's a lot of pressure in that situation. And that has a follow-on effect for the rest of the body. So the latest research shows, and this is partnering with uh, the Department of Engineering at uh, uh, with uh, Professor Ying Tan, who I'm working with, we're finding that even 15 minutes looking at your phone is enough to make those back muscles work inefficiently that your push-ups and your calf raise rate goes down. So if you're sitting incorrectly, even for 15 minutes, it can cause a problem. So what we've developed is a sensor system to then Mm. measure when you're about to fatigue or when your back is working inefficiently, It'll send a message to your phone in an app saying, Lockie, you know, looks like things are not right. Let's get you, you know, sitting up. So we're creating a loop in real time. And what that feedback loop does is it creates a better movement pattern for you, but also creates awareness. When you create awareness, you naturally then grow taller. So, you know, back in the day when grandma used to say, oh, you know, Sal, sit up taller, or your parents used to say that. It's you know, there's we're just building that into an app. <laughs> I love it. I want to try and get my grandma's voice to be the app voice that tells me what to do. I want her to be Siri and tell me sit up straight, Lachlan. Um, so can you tell? And that's one of the things. Like this is a cutting edge area of research you're doing Casal. you're leading the world in this in terms of you know so much focus is always about an athlete when they're training when they're performing when they're sleeping what are they eating but it's all that other time the sedentary time that is what sounds like it can be a hidden trap it can be a situation where all the good that's being done through those other quadrants is then being undone in that sedentary time you're leading the world in terms of uh, seeing this as a key area, but then actually doing something about it. Can you just give us a, an idea of the mechanics of, so you've got, my understanding is these sensors are almost like a Band-Aid. So you're putting a few Band-Aids on your body. Can you tell us how that works, please? So the sensor system actually picks up muscle activity. And what we mm. found is if you've got good posture, the muscle activity is a certain frequency. If you're, mm. If you've got bad posture, Uh, it's a different frequency. So when you start measuring good versus bad, you can actually pick up when a person is, you know, spending more time in bad. But the quicker we access that, and the, you know, the sample of the finger, you can actually pick up, uh, oh, geez, this, you've gone, you know, it's a, you're going into a threshold. Um, There's three phases I like to look at, which is green, meaning, you know, you're doing everything pretty well. Yellow, which is sort of 
look, you're not bad, but look, let's not spend too much time in the yellow because, you know, then it's yeah. a downward spiral. Then, of course, there's red. So uh, what we're doing is the sensor system picking things up just as you get it, get into yellow and then mm-hmm. reminding you, oh, here's some strategies on how to get back into green. And some of those strategies are based on things that I've written in my book, Three Minute Workouts, where mm-hmm. within a matter of minutes, you can actually do something, change your activity, uh, increase, uh, you know, either um, uh, activate a muscle, uh, create a movement that will then prevent that, uh, the bad effects of that sedentary posture. And the fact that you're giving, as you say, that real-time feedback loop. So an athlete doesn't just know, oh, yesterday I sat the wrong way and it's really going to cost me. They're getting that instant feedback so they can correct it. And it's all those one percenters. It's all these things. That's the difference between winning and losing at the highest level. And for just you know ordinary people, everyday people, trying to get the most out of their, you know, the best bang for their buck when they you know go to the physiotherapist, when they go and see yeah. you at Elite Academy, you can help them get the results to give them a pain-free life. I mean, you know, it's uh, it's a big thing. Pain is a big thing, and to be able to do the best you can uh, to beat it, a beautiful thing. Yeah, and um, there's actually yeah. one more thing I'd like to add there. You know, it's, please. Uh, what what you touched on there is that feedback loop. You know. You create that feedback loop in real time. When you create a feedback loop in real time, you, as a human being, you actually get better. For example, if you do something incorrectly today and then your teacher tells you off tomorrow, it doesn't have the same effect as the teacher telling you off here and now. So as human beings, we like to learn in real time and Our muscles, our body, our mind and the brain, how it uh, improves performance happens in the same way. So for an athlete, this is really vital. For example, in coaching, the coach will correct things straight away, not, you know, a month or two or even a day later. So with this kind of technology, if things are happening in real time, we are then creating a muscle memory. Imagine, Imagine if, you know, people are used to this bad sedentary posture. And you're then creating awareness of really good posture and it creates a muscle memory. And um, what we have found is if you get around 3,000 to 10,000 repetitions of a certain movement, it becomes, uh, you know, ingrained into muscle memory and uh, it creates a better movement pattern. So you start getting athletes who are performing better because they're not doing the bad things and they can their training and their sleep are completely optimized it's an amazing insight you're giving us this is the cutting edge research the cutting edge technology that is making a difference uh kasar gooden ordner i i it's amazing stuff you're doing what do you reckon you know what's the next step i mean the minute you're doing the sedentary and you're having this real-time feedback What's the next step in technology in sports physiotherapy, do you reckon? Well, the next step, once again, this this probably is the first step where we can measure what happens in, uh, in an athlete in a sedentary sort of lifestyle uh, or sedentary part of their life. The next phase is uh, remote treatments or remote uh, ways of working with athletes. Now, both Laura and Vera are overseas. I'm based in Melbourne. And, you know, it's very hard to always travel with your athletes. But imagine imagine um, a suit, a tactile suit, and the tactile suit is made of little movable motorized tiles. Mm-hmm. And uh, they put the suit on. And uh, with the suit, I've got my goggles, virtual reality goggles, or, and also a tactile glove. So... Then as I'm manipulating what might be the shoulder or the mid-back, they will feel it uh, through through this technology. So I think this is the, the next phase. And this is not just for our athletes or elite athletes. It could be for the general population as well. Uh, you might say, Kasal, look, you're my favorite physio. I don't want to see anyone in London. I just want to make sure everything is fine. Can you, can you do these things that we worked on in Melbourne? All of a sudden, you put the suit on. It's kind of like a Zoom call. You would, yeah. uh, we, we would connect on this at a certain time. And then when I put my goggles on, I can see you and I can see which areas I'm working on. And then as I manipulate it, 
through my uh, through my glove, which might be your mid back, you will definitely feel that through the motorized uh, tactile suit. That is insane. That is legitimately like the fact you can you know see me is one thing you know you can see the outline, but then the fact that you can literally physically you're in Melbourne, I'm in London, and you can physically manipulate my shoulders and you get me back into a decent uh, working Nick from the other side of the, the world. world. That's yes. that's mind blowing. And and the wonderful news, Lockie, is that this technology exists now. They use it in uh, you know fire safety. Uh, they use it in extreme uh, uh, learning experiences like fire safety. They, you know, put a suit on that it can replicate heat. It can replicate. So people, you know, the fire brigade, they put the masks on and they mm. pretty much see like they're in a fire. And, uh, you know, you're not burning a building for these people to learn uh, and train. Yeah. It's actually done uh, in the comfort of uh, uh, utilizing this technology. So, you know, other industries are using this. And what I like to do is see what other industries are using so well and then fit it into the health and wellness space. And ultimately, it helps our athletes because, you know, I'm a big fan of measuring everything, looking to see how we can improve things. And then if we keep that mindset to uh, add this technology in a safe, uh, ethical way, you're going to see some tremendous results for athletes and the general population. Kasar, you lead the world when it comes to this cutting-edge technology in sports exercise and physiotherapy. Can you tell us a bit about Elite Academy? That's Academy with a K, Elite Academy Sports Medicine that you've uh, had there at the University of Melbourne since 2012. You've also got Elite Athlete Performance Enhancement. Can you tell us about the Academy and how passionate you are? Because I know you've helped to train over a 1,000 different physiotherapists and help educate and mentor how passionate you are about this Elite Academy, please. So Elite Academy, once again, the K is because of Casal. Yeah, I love it. K theorem. <laughs> K theorem and Elite Academy K. And, uh, I love it. you know, when uh, it came about, uh, you know, looking at a name for for the clinic at Melbourne University, uh, Elite Academy with the C was gone and uh, an Elite Academy with a K was present. It was available. So <laughs> that's that's how that was born. But, I've uh, over the years, I mean, I've been a sports physio for 20 plus years. Uh, mm. I've found myself being a better practitioner when I can teach. So uh, I've been lucky enough to uh, learn a lot. Uh, and then uh, there's three cycles. You know, you become competent at something that improves your confidence. And then I add another loop, which is professionally developed. So you, you, it's an ongoing cycle. To develop yourself, but I've found to develop myself even faster is by teaching. So, when I've yeah. taught, I've been able to help uh, my students, my other colleagues, uh, uh, who you know end up doing so well in in terms of sports medicine. And then, you know, ultimately, it it helps me. So, that's been my journey over the last twenty odd years. Melbourne University, uh, I've been involved with them since 2002. And 2008, um, I, I guess I was uh, lucky enough, uh, they saw my good work and they said, look, Kasal, can you head the team for the university nationals, the sports med team? I would always put the best sports med team around. And uh, over the last, I think since starting, we've always ended up being one of the top five universities in sport. So we wanted, there was... One year we were going for three peat, and I think we, uh, we we just missed out on that. But you know, considering um, we've got a lot of our students who help out, and then our staff, we've got a talented group there that uh, help make mm -hmm. a difference. And right now we've got two hundred and fifty elite athletes. Uh, out of two hundred and fifty of those, twenty five Olympians, Winter Olympians, national level athletes, and we put all of these uh, systems in place to either reduce the uh, injury rate. Or improve the uh, improve their performance. Damn, mate, it's um, I love what you say also about you know helping to teach the, the next generation. I think I think that's a really it's a powerful thing. 
Hey, uh, so if I, if someone's listening to this and they're like, you know what, I really think I could do with some K theorem. I want to go see Casal. Can we just come to Elite Academy? How does it work? Is, yeah. that, is that possible? It, it is. Now, we uh, at Melbourne University, it's open to anyone to come and visit us. So mm. uh, if they go through uh, the website, uh, eliteacademy.com, and uh, they pretty much get to see everything and all the sites that we work from as well. Melbourne University is probably the most central in Melbourne. Uh, that's where you'll uh, more likely to find me as well because I'm there majority of the time. And um, yeah, they can pretty much book in online and uh, come and see us. So although we cater for the university, which is 10,000 staff, uh, 40,000 uh, students, uh, I think it's now 45,000 or 50,000 students, um, uh, about... Uh, another 15% uh, is uh, people that travel from either interstate, uh, people from overseas come and see me, uh, and obviously other parts of Victoria and Melbourne. So, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful place to come and say hello. Mate, I love it. And as I said at the very beginning, I think the fact that you've got that common touch, you know, you've got that great vibe and you turn stuff that's very dense, very complex, like you're literally working cutting edge technology to lead the world, but then you're going to welcome with open arms someone to come in through your door and help them out with their bad back. Um, you did write the book on it, Back Pain, 30 Days to Pain Free. Um, just before we go, so... One of the things, I was reading an article by you in the Daily Telegraph, oh, not that long ago, and it was sort of talking about, and it, I suppose it echoes your book, Three Minute Workouts, whereby in 180 seconds, you can get the same sort of value for an exercise regime that you would in 30 minutes of sort of low intensity stuff going for a slight jog or whatever, a bit of a walk. Can you tell us about that? We can do three minutes and we can get fit, eh? <laughs> yeah, look, Three Minute Workouts came about because I had a group of clients who traveled the world or, you know, busy and i would say oh look here's a here's an exercise program that you can do you can do it in the hotel gym you can do it in the rooms and they said oh no casal well i can't stand this can't even can't even do 20 30 minutes i can't do it give me something i can do that you know time is not of uh time won't be a problem so mm. we uh, i mean i've pretty much tried a few things and then it worked out that I could condense things into a three-minute program to get the same results. And then the research started coming out. There was, I think there was a seven-minute workout. I think someone's written about a four-minute workout. Um, then I wrote the three-minute workout. And then um, the, the best thing that happened was a professor in Canada came out with the one-minute program. There is a one-minute program that sure. translates to if you do it, uh, if you do it, you know, it equates to getting the 30 minute workout, which the World Health Organization uh, sort of mentions. So the basic premise is it's a high intensity interval training uh, mm -hmm. for I've created, uh, you know, over the three minutes, you do six different little exercises. Now, you don't have to do those six. You can actually choose any activity uh, at and just change up the intensity. So if you, if I use walking as an example, walking and running. So you can, you, you can moderate walking and running and uh, create the three minute workout that way. So if you do, uh, if, I, if I use uh, running for a minute, as an example, you run at 85% of maximum capacity. So mm -hmm. in that run, you shouldn't be able to talk to the person next to you or you shouldn't be able to talk because you're really pushing yourself yeah. then you drop down for about 15 seconds um 15 to 20 seconds even or even let's say half a minute uh and that is fine so you're going from 85 percent down to about 25 percent. do another minute 85 percent. so that's your second minute then you drop it down again then another 85 percent. now although it's a three minute workout you're actually doing uh, you're coming up 85, dropping down, up and down, up and down. And the amount of exercise is about three minutes, but there's break times in there as well, which is the walking component. And, you know, within a matter of 21 to 28 days, we do find people, they get fitter. Um, mm -hmm. they, uh, they feel better. They feel a lot more confident in their movements. And uh, the other premise to this is the human body needs to be pushed outside of its comfort zone. So when you push 
outside 85% uh, or around 85, 90% each time, you're continuing to push outside the comfort zone. And when you do that, you, uh, the body and the mind naturally takes you to another level. And I think the other way of explaining it is if you do the same thing over and over. So someone says, look, Gasal, I walk one hour each day. The intensity I walk at is, you know, anywhere between five and a half to seven. You're doing the same intensity each and every day. You're not testing out anything. You're actually getting a wonderful baseline. You're better than someone who's not walking at all. But you're, uh, you know, to get to the other next level, you know, mix it up with some high intensity interval training. First of all, you know, you need to make sure everything is safe. Your GPs, if you haven't done this kind of work before, get your GP to give it clearance. But mm-hmm. uh, once you have that, it's uh, you start getting results in as little as four weeks. Sounds good to me. And from the sound of it, what you said about taking you to a higher space, both physically and mentally, there's a bit of a meditative aspect to it as yeah. well. So you're sort of, you know, mind, body and soul. Oh, definitely. Because when you have to do something at 85% plus, you have mm-hmm. to focus in on that task. Uh, you know, anything less, you can talk to a person or you can carry on a conversation. Your your focus is not on that activity. So that meditative nature of that activity, you're bringing that focus into the here and now, and that's very powerful. Casal, it has just been fascinating talking to you. You know, I this is the first time we've been able to meet properly, you know, albeit via Zoom, but I'd I'd heard such big raps on you. <laughs> Um, and it's just been just so enlightening hearing you. And I just, I love your energy and I love what you're doing. And um, you're going to keep leading the world in terms of sports tech. Casal, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Lockie. It's been a pleasure. You're listening to Sports Cutting Edge for ASTN, the Australian Sports Technologies Network. We're joined now on the show by a man who is revolutionising equine performance using the latest cutting-edge technology, the co-founder of Stableform, that's stableform.com, Mr. Ken Fretwell. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me here. Oh, Ken, it's it's terrific to have you on. And I want to talk about this. Stableform have been able to use technology in such a unique way. You're a real pioneer. Can you tell us about the company? where it's come from, what you're doing, and the sort of results that you're getting. Yeah, sure. So we uh, originally started off doing analytics for rowers. Um, yeah. So worked a little bit with BIS, et cetera, around analyzing the performance of, of rowers. Um, but in, in, I guess, conversations with friends and contacts, um, a few of them pushed me to, and I guess intrigued me, to have a look at the horse racing industry. Um, and after we, after I guess we delved into that a bit, we could see there was a great opportunity for providing better analytics. Um, when we first looked at it, we figured it would be a really easy transition of just taking taking our rowing stats and applying it to the equine, you know, to the thoroughbred industry. Yeah. Uh, after after spending uh, many I guess early mornings looking at at the way horses were trained. Uh, it, we got to the point where we figured out that there was a lot more that could be done. Mm. Um, and it probably all came to a head uh, one morning at Caulfield where we were doing a lot of, of testing and trialing. And after talking to a number of the trainers down there in the trainer's box, um, and we said, you know, look, we've got all these, these great stats. Don't worry about using your, your time, your stopwatch and your binoculars. We can do it all with GPS and it's great. And we can tell you all this stuff and your heart rate. And it's awesome. And they said, yeah, but we still don't really know what the horse is, what the horse is doing. You know, you don't know what the horse is feeling. Horses don't talk. Um, And so we realized that, yeah, we probably needed to do a lot more. And it was at that point that we did a quick uh, straw poll of the trainers. There were five or six of them, some some rather well-known ones around there at at, at that time as well. Mm. And they all came back and said they want to know what's going on in the front hoofs, um, 80 to 90% of the injuries stem from that sort of region and would then you know, ultimately manifest themselves elsewhere in the horse. But that was yeah. what they wanted to know. They wanted to know what was going on there. Um, somehow they wanted, you know, they didn't really know, I guess, what to look for. They just knew that we needed to do something in there. Yeah. And that um, it sort of spurred us on to uh, start inventing, which was what we did. 
Well, I love it. And that's the thing, you, you know, you really, this is the sort of stuff that can change the world. I mean, for horses, the majestic animals and obviously horse racing, huge sport right across the globe. And if you, as you're saying, 80 to 90% of injuries coming from the front hooves. So, okay, what can we do? And you've been able to use technology to really make a difference in this area. So what did you do, Ken? Tell us, how did you invent it? I mean, were you out in the back in the workshop tinkering? Tell us the creative process, because I know you're someone who loves electronics. You've been been doing this for a long time you've got that great sort of imagination to be able to bring this stuff to life tell us about it please yeah so it wasn't out the back in the workshop it was on the kitchen bench actually uh, <laughs> which, right. which did get me the trouble every now and then with misters but that's okay it was good it was worth it um you know we we tested a lot of a lot of hardware modules that were available for for tracking motion so the exact same sort of sensors that you put in a rocket to go to space or a guided missile or you know anything that needs to fly through the air so exact same sorts of sensors pretty much um we had to find one that was small uh, easy for us to use, easy for us to integrate into our apps. And then we had to, it also, of course, had to had to be able to be fixed onto the horse somewhere. Um, yeah. One of the good things with horses is they've got a lot of gear. Most of them are used to wearing that gear as well. Um, and they have these things called fetlock boots, which are kind of like a, a reverse shin guard, um, if you were to look mm. at a football player or someone like that. And we managed to find a sensor that we could use that gave us the right data, that we could integrate, that was small, and that could be embedded into these fetlock boots. Um, and that was a bit of a eureka moment. Uh, we went out and started testing this with some local horse trainers. We um, started looking at data um, and and started to integrate it so that it could work well in a stables environment, um, you know, mounted on a horse that's running in all sorts of weather across all sorts of terrain. Uh, and then, you know, I guess really started looking at the data that it produced and how we could interpret that. And, and you know, if we go back to our rowing side, but provide actionable insights, that was what it all was, was if we're not, if we're not providing something that a, a trainer can take meaningful action on mm. and was interested in, then there's no point doing it um, yeah. You know, if they were just going to look at it and say, well, that's a nice picture. Great. But you're not going to do anything. We don't need that. You know, there's absolutely no point doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that was, I, I guess, the, the quick run through of, of how we got to where we are. We were also very conscious. It was quite interesting coming into the horse racing industry. You know, you, you're dealing with you're dealing with a, a massive sport, a sport that mm. involves you know animals that can't talk back to you. Animals that, as one of my good friends described, he said, he said, he said, Ken, horses are gallant. A horse will do what you ask, you know, and that can include putting it on a treadmill uh, and running it till it dies. It'll do that because that's that's what horses do. So, so you know, there, there's a lot of you have to be careful, I guess, how you train horses, and and a lot of that then comes back to relying on a trainer. You know, and trainers are very good at this and stable hands as well of looking at a horse and knowing how it's feeling and knowing and knowing you know getting that gut feel of knowing how the horse is training and we're quite conscious that you know we come along with our data here and that our data and our and our insights that we provide are there to back up what the trainer's feeling and what the trainer's seeing and what the vet then sees um and and making sure that the trainer doesn't start to train by data. You know, our data is not necessarily the first point of call of data says this, therefore we need to do that. It's, it's always my gut feel is that it's pulling up a little bit sore in the front right. Okay, let's get the trainer, uh, let's, get, let's get the vet. What does the data say? Yep, it's the abnormal. Let's get the vet involved. Let, let's go from there. That's a really interesting point you make, Ken, and I think that's a, a dilemma that is becoming more and more apparent in this modern age where there is so much data. You know, 40, 50 years ago, it was all gut feel. Um, now there is a, a compelling amount of data across all different sports. Um, can, can I ask how you see that balance? Ken, obviously, you've described in, in horse racing that the gut feel is still the, the main port of call with decision-making. Can you describe a bit, a bit more about your feelings about that? Like, is that something you're, you're very sort of um, keen on that, hey, it does need to be like this, particularly with an animal that can't talk back, as you say, you know, like what's yeah. your, your feel? Yeah, yeah. And I guess it depends how experienced you are. You know, we see we see jockeys um, that are just beginning their career and they need 
you know, they need a lot of support and the data can provide them that support to, you know, guide them a bit more around the decisions they're making as they ride and train and, you know, mm. how they see a horse behave afterwards. And then you've got your more experienced jockeys that, that just know how fast they're going. They can do their sectional times spot on everything that, you know, they've been doing for 30, 40 years and they just know it. And, yeah. and the data in that point, they need a small amount just to back up what they're feeling, just to reinforce what they're feeling. Mm. Um, and that's, that's very similar with, you know, like the trainers at the trainer level as well. Um, and so it's a very fine balance between too much and not enough. And, yeah. and for us, you know, the amount of data we have is, is massive. You know, we've got six sensors recording at a hundred samples per second plus GPS plus heart rate. Um, so it's massive amounts, it's massive amounts of data. And, and I guess one of the jockeys I did a lot of work with, um, you know, early one morning, he said, he said, can, he said, all I want is a graph that tells me whether my horse is balanced or not. Uh, I thought, okay, right. A, a balance is my horse balanced graph. Um, and so that's what we, that's what we ultimately distilled it down to was just this, this, I guess it's like a bit of a gauge from left to right. And it has a look at the impact that the front left and right feet are, are, are doing as the horse trots or gallops, whatever it does. And it says, yeah. is it doing it evenly, you know, left versus right? And that was all that he needed. He was a very experienced jockey. Um, and, and so at his level, that was it. And then you get some of the younger guys and girls coming along. And, you know, they're much more, I guess, technically savvy as well. So they can consume a heart rate graph and they and they can see all the difference in, in you know, the, the changes in speed and those sorts of things. And you can really feed that into them. Um, but, yeah, you do have to be careful to make sure that, you know, as they're riding along, they're not just thinking about the data that they're getting and, and what it's doing and, you know, got to concentrate on holding on. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you're going pretty quick. <laughs> It's very interesting. I love you. You've got this deep insight and, and passion to the topic, I can see. Now, in terms of the infrastructure, so as you said, you've got six sensors on the horse with 100 bits of data per second. And is so, that information? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those, so, please. yeah sure. I'll, I'll give you a quick overview. So thank you. I guess I guess for most trainers and most jockeys, they, they start off with a phone. Our phone has a lot of sensors in it. Um, you know, it helps you play your games and navigate to the coffee shop or the racetrack or whatever it is. Um, yeah. So, you know, you've got GPS built in, uh, you've got motion sensors built into a phone as well. So you straight away, you can record some data with that. Um, you can do your sectionals and you know, a little app and away you go. Um, most trainers will then start looking at heart rates. And so you're buying off the shelf heart rate belts. We have our own as well. And we're working on some, some newer versions at the moment, but um, you'll then add heart rate into the mix. And that gives you a massive insight into the overall fitness of the horse and you know how, how good it is at, at recovering after a, after a training session and then you've got our fit lock boots which have has this little this little sensor board built into the left and the right fit lock boot and it's only tiny it's about the size of a, of a 20 cent coin so you know 25 millimeters um, in yeah. diameter um, and that all of these connected devices whether it's the boots and the heart rate or just the heart rate monitor or whatever combination you've got, this data is streamed back to the app on our phone, on, on the jockey's phone. And yeah. at the end of the day, every jockey has a phone. They always have them, yeah. even though technically sometimes they shouldn't. I guarantee you they have one in their pocket at all times. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, you jump into our app, it connects up to all the devices that it, that it has already found in the past, that it, that it remembers, start streaming all this data. As the jockey's off riding around, some of that data is broadcast live. So the trainer back in the trainer's box or the trainer who's based, I don't know, who's taking the day off in Hawaii somewhere, wherever they are, if they've got internet connectivity, they can sit yeah. there and they can watch the sectionals and the heart rate in real time across as many horses as as is being ridden for them under their account. Um, so mm -hmm. they can see that stuff live. When the jockey finishes, um, he or she presses, presses stop. The recorded data is uploaded to our cloud services where it's further post-processed. And so at that point, we start looking at, at trends around motion, we chop the data up into speed bands and into heart rate zones, and we calculate the sectionals um, automatically. And then we start to look at those long-term trends. So, so are my sectionals becoming quicker or are they going slower? And based on where you are in your training cycle, maybe you're expecting it, maybe you aren't. Um, you know, mm. is my are my average heart rates for that horse 
um, what I'd expect during those sectionals. Is my heart rate recovery, you know, coming down? Is, is, is the horse, um, often what we see with heart rate recovery is a, a really fit horse and horses, a well-trained horse is an incredibly fit animal. Yeah. Um, it'll drop. It's like like watching a cliff. It just drops right back down and it will just almost flatline as the horse walks back or whatever post-workout work it's doing. It'll handle yeah. it really well. Whereas an unfit horse, it sort of jumps up and it jumps down and it can jump around a bit. And so straight away, you can see that sort of information. Um, and you can see that through the app. You know, after you've finished, if you've finished riding, you know, within 20, 30 seconds later, that, that data is all available. You click through yeah. and look at that. Um, we've also found... The first time I ever recorded heart rate data um, at a racetrack was on what turned out to be a sprinter. I didn't know it was a sprinter at the time. And I was reading the heart rate data out to the trainer in real time. Uh, this is the first time the trainer had ever done heart rate data. It was the first time I'd ever done it on the horse. And as we're walking out to the track to try and watch the, the horse train, I'm reading it out and I'm, you know, 130, 140. It hadn't started its work yet. 150, 160. And he trained to turn to me. He says, no, 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 160, that's crazy. It's walking out. It, it can't be doing 160. And then it dropped back down, 140, 130, settled down. And it came onto the track and it did its work. And I didn't think too much of it, but I couldn't figure out what it was. And after talking to a, a, a good friend of mine who's a horse breeder, he said, yep, show me where that point is on the map. Um, and I could do that. And it was right where the horse came over the edge and it saw the track and it got excited. Wow. And so we could tell, and he said, I bet that's a sprinter. And I said, yeah, it was actually, it's a sprinter. And it saw the track, got excited, heart rate went up, <laughs> then it settled down again. So it settled down quite nicely, did its work, uh, yeah. great heart rate data during its work, came back off the track, um, recovered, and away it went. So, you know, you can see those sorts of things as well. And it gives you this, this massive insight into into what's going on inside a horse's mind. And, yeah. and when we were then able to, to combine that with seeing the motion data, um, you know, whenever you're injured yourself, if you mm. start using the injured limb or whatever it is, your heart rate's going to go up, even in situations where it wouldn't normally do that. So you can start to see those sorts of things as well. So, um, you know, the situation where the heart rate's going up, there's no obvious reason why, but hang on, we've got some motion data here that says, yeah, it's applying more pressure than it normally would on the right-hand side. Therefore, we need to look at the left because it's probably protecting it for some reason. There's some sort of injury, tendon damage, soreness, you know, whatever it is. Um, and you can, you know, then you can tie that back to, especially in the case of a horse, what sort of surface is it running on? Is it running on some nice grass? Is it running on some poly turf? Is it running on sand? Did they somehow, did the jockey somehow run over something really hard? Um, mm and injure it and you can start to see all those sorts of things too so mm. man it's just magnificent and you are a real pioneer in this area um can i ask like clearly you are working sort of hand in glove with the trainers with the jockeys creating products like as you said a jockey was after a, a graph that showed balance then you came up with it so i i love that it's such a a, a great relationship where you're creating products that are absolutely needed um what sort of next for you guys can it stable form it sounds like the sky you know the sky's the limit what do you got on the radar uh it's probably a lot more artificial intelligence and machine learning to feed this into. We've done a little bit of it, but we've probably only scratched the surface. Um, mm. Again, there's there's not a lot out there to, you know, if people have done this before, for us to suddenly go, oh yes, we can, we've got this data and this is how you do it. it it's, it's been a big case of, we've got this data, how on earth can we apply some sort of automated learning that, that we can then feed back to a trainer that says, you know, the AI slash ML says, well, actually, you know what, you're trending into a happy place or a bad place or or you're not going to meet your training goals in terms of your sectional times and therefore you should have a look at this so so a lot of i guess dashboarding of um feeding those insights back to a trainer in a way that is just far better than what we're currently doing like i think we're we're, we're quite good at doing it at the moment but you know you can always get better at these sorts of things so so really being able to provide you know, some great actionable insights that are backed up by some good AI ML algorithms in the background that gives a trainer, you know, at 5 a.m. after their work's finished an oversight of all 50, 100, five of their horses, whatever number it is, 
these are the ones I need to look at. The rest I don't need to worry about. They're all good, but they're off in the background and I can look at if I want. But, you know, here's my here's my list of vet questions for the day sort of thing. Um, yeah. And I'm going to go on the race. I'm off to the races. I'm off to Warrnambool on the weekend. These horses are looking good. These ones, maybe I'll give them another week and target another race or something like that. So you've really got that high performance and also that horse safety aspect really strongly covered off. What about from a um, maybe a broadcast point of view or from obviously, um, you know, uh, betting in horse racing is obviously huge. Um, even from sort of, you know, the, the you know Web 3.0 stuff, Metaverse, et cetera. Like, is there an opportunity to be able to um, create content off the back of your analysis, your data for broadcast or for betting, or etc. Well, look, you could. Um, we, it's I, I'd probably say we would never go down the betting path because the data we have is too sensitive for that sort of thing. Um, I, I mean, look, maybe we could maybe we could look at um, anonymizing it and, and combining it, you know, down the track. But I think that would ultimately be up to our users agreeing to that and you know you get yeah. some trainers some trainers are progressive enough and will be interested in doing that but a lot of them would not you know there's a lot of secret source that goes on there with with training yeah. programs um you know those sorts of things so I, I don't think we would and i never say never but, but i'd say it's highly unlikely we would get involved with the, any any betting sort of things it, mm -hmm. it would be interesting though you know we know horse movement really well so if you wanted to virtualize that, we can show people how horses move and, and the differences yeah. between good ones and bad ones and, and those sorts of things. So you could take that data and and anonymize it and build up models of different styles of racehorses. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's probably about as far as we've gone with those sorts of ideas. Yeah. <laughs> um, the metaverse is interesting. Like I've, you know... I don't know, is it going to be the next big thing? Is it not? Who knows? But, um, yeah, and even things like eSports as well. You, you know, mm. I, I've never really looked at is there any eSports horse racing. I think there's a little bit of it, but, and and how sophisticated it is, I'm not sure, but we could probably, um, you know, do some things there if, if there was enough interest to. Um, yeah. I think probably for us, the more interesting thing would be doing horses amazingly well making sure that, you know, mm. we've essentially stopped horse death due to front uh, or due to limb injury overall and, and heart issues. Um, and then look at other sports, where, you know, where, where there's motion, like you know, anyone that walks, for example. Um, yeah. You know, that's probably the next, another industry would be quite interested in is, um, you know, not just your high-performance athletes, but, you know, someone who walks into a podiatrist and says, there's something wrong with my right foot. I don't know what it is. Um can you figure it out? Well, sure. Here's here's some data, and here's a picture that shows you the difference between your left and your right foot. Um, and it's different the last time I saw you. And looking at it, the way you're walking, feeling, and touching, you probably need to do this. So, um, I'd say that's probably the bigger a bigger thing. Um, but yeah, who knows? The way things are changing at the moment, it's all changing so quick. Definitely, Ken. That must mean a lot to you when you're able to help prevent the death of a horse i mean anyone that works with horses you know forms just that instant love for horses and the way you were speaking before about a horse on a treadmill and just how awesome that is that must mean a lot that your technology something that you were you know fighting over a bit of space in the kitchen uh, to try and get a bit, a bit of a spot on the kitchen bench you know um the fact that that has now helped to create a situation where horses that may uh, otherwise have passed away have not yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, there's, there's still probably a bit of a perception that the horse racing industry is evil and that it causes deaths for horses and that it should all be banned. Um, in my experience with the hundreds of people I've talked to, I have never found one person who is intentionally, you know, hurting an animal. Um, mm. over, overwhelmingly, um, there's a love of the horses and, and a, you know, an understand, a duty of care, understanding that they all have. And um, you know, one of the one of the trainers, well, four women, I guess, Gay Gauchi, who we work with a lot at Caulfield, um, you know, she said, she said, look, I, I just I just want you guys to be successful and prevent horse deaths. And she said, if I can help you do that, then that's a win for everyone. Um, mm. And that's and that's exactly what it is. You know, you look at you look at things like you know the unfortunate deaths that they have in in the Melbourne Cup. Um, 
and you know that's always like a limb injury that is probably preventable um, if there's the right data there and so mm-hmm. being able to prevent that is a massive thing and, and making it accessible as well i mean it's not just these big high stakes races where it's really obvious you know that, the, that something's happened but you know the country races as well where there's a breakdown would it be great to you know be able to prevent that as well and help you know the country trainers who don't have 500 horses of work but still care just as much um, yeah. and want to see those insights that that tells them you know whether they're doing the right thing or maybe they need to change something yeah. Just fantastic, Ken. What you've done, I mean, I love it. And and the fact that you're able to really build this from scratch, you know, and take what you'd learn out of a previous experience with Roletics and then bring it into stable form. So I encourage everyone to jump on stableform.com, stableform, all one word, .com, uh, and you can jump uh, also the App Store. You've got the Stableform app in the App Store yep. and on Google Play Store as well. Ken, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It's been great. Well, that wraps us up. Um, Thank you very much to Casal and to Ken. Uh, Lovely to have those gentlemen on the show. Sensational stuff, isn't it? I mean, it's it's very cool to get this sort of, the insight. You look behind the curtain of of what is the the tech that's coming? You know, not what's already here, but what's what's next? Um, So, yeah, love having those two blokes on the show. Sensational. All right, we'll be back next week. Drop it on a Monday. Thank you very much for your company. ASTN.com.au. Check them out. You've been listening to Sports Cutting Edge for the Australian Sports Technologies Network. For more, jump online at astn.com.au.